All right, thank you, Pastor Ryan. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Happy New Year. Well, it's January 30th, so uh, yeah, I haven't seen some of you, so Happy New Year. Happy Lunar New Year uh, for those of you to whom that applies. It's the year of the black water tiger. Sounds really cool uh, for those of you uh, who can identify with that. Well, it's great to be here this morning. Um, hope you all enjoyed some nice snow over the weekend. I heard it was called a bomb cyclone, which also sounds cool. Um, but uh, yeah, glad you all got here safely. For those of you tuning in uh, from home, uh, glad you can join us. We pray for God's peace and grace to rest on you all as you worship from home. Uh, hope you don't feel disconnected from us. Uh, we're one in spirit uh, as we worship the Lord together. Well, let's uh, bow our heads in prayer, uh, and let's look to the Lord and depend on Him uh, as we get into His Word. Uh, We don't just study with our human minds. We need the help and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we look to Your Word today because, Lord, frankly, we have nowhere else to turn but to Your truth. God, out there in this world, there's so many nice-sounding ideas, schools of thought, that sound intriguing at first, God, but Lord, always let us down, leave us empty, lead us astray. And God, we're tired of chasing after empty words, lifeless teaching from the media, social media, the world around us. God, we want, we want to see Christ. We want to look to you, the God of the scriptures, who came to us as the way, the truth, and life in the flesh to show us that you are love. And you have the best for us. God, this time is precious as we sit under your preaching. So give us ears to hear and give us minds to understand. And grant me the strength, God, in my own physical weakness to deliver it well. May all who are weak find strength in you. May anyone here confused about their lives and their call, may they find clarity and direction by the leading of your spirit. And may all who are hungry to do your will and really searching after that, may they be filled today. And God, lead us to be that church that magnifies Christ for all the world to see. And it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, we're continuing on in our series through the life of Elijah and the life of Elisha. And so far, the focus has been on Elijah. Uh, we've studied in detail uh, about some of the well-known, exciting stories in First Kings that set him apart as the great prophet. Well, in this morning's passage, we're introduced for the first time to the prophet Elisha. Now, for those of you who are new to the Bible, that sounds kind of confusing because it sounds kind of the same. How does that possibly work out? Uh, and also that they're part of the same narrative coming right after the other. It's a little confusing, but I'm really glad for this series where we can learn not only that these are two completely different prophets that accomplish much different things, and we can learn the significance of each of their work. Uh, Today's passage focuses on how everything got started for Elisha. It's focused on his call. And based on this short passage, we'll look at some of the lessons on the way God works uh, along with the way we ought to respond in faith. So before we get into this, let me put out a couple of questions uh, for you to ask yourselves uh, in preparation to hear these words. What do you believe right now to be the call of God on your life? And are you truly living in it? Are you able to discern it through eyes of faith? 
And are you convinced that God is absolutely sovereign and in control of your life and every single detail of your life? And does that affect how you live and walk in that call? So please consider those questions. And let me first say that God is a God who's constantly calling out to us. He called us with an effective call when he saved us. He's calling us every day to know him more deeply. And he often calls us to make major decisions in our lives that affect the course and the path in which we live. And it matters a great deal how our hearts view God and how we respond to those calls. So some things to consider, uh, just as an introduction here. Uh, So we just look at two things based on this passage. The first thing is the basis of the call, which is God's sovereignty. And the second thing we'll look at is the response to the call. Radical faith. No compromise. So the basis of the call, God's sovereignty. Just to sum up up, uh, everything that happened before uh, verse 19, we see that right after God encountered and spoke to Elijah in the gentle whisper, he he gave him instructions to anoint three men, Hazael as king over Syria, Jehu as king over Israel, and the third man, Elisha, as his replacement as prophet until his work is done. So in doing this, God's larger purpose was to assure Elijah that his labor was not in jeopardy and that he had not taken on Ahab and the Baal prophets in vain. We heard last week that Elijah, he was so discouraged because the opposition that still remained after the victory on Mount Carmel. He thought his ministry and life were all over, all because of his fears. But in calling him to appoint these three men, God was giving Elijah a little peek into his long-term plan that none of what happened just now was going to be in vain. Hazael would bring judgment on those disobedient in Israel. Jehu will bring judgment on Ahab. And Elisha will continue on the work of Elijah as his helper, his successor, and his assistant. God wasn't about to stop working just because Elijah thought it was over. No, there were a thousand things that God had begun and was doing behind the scenes. And God was assuring him that he's going to see everything through until the end. It's over when he says it's over, not when we think it's over. And God was not confined to just one battle, no matter how impressive it was. The work of judgment that began on Mount Carmel will continue until every last enemy of Elijah has been judged, even Queen Jezebel. You know, so often, just pause here for a second, we live in the past, right? That's our tendency. So often we look back at things God did in a previous chapter of our lives. Maybe it was last year. Maybe it was just a previous season that just seems like a long time ago now. We just get stuck there. And we may respond to that in a couple of ways. One way is we may look back and boast in those things. You know, it's like, man, I used to be good. <laughs> Always bringing up them up during conversation and cocktail hour. You know, dude, when I was a teenager, I went to Mexico on a mission trip. Man, I didn't shower for a week. I, I pooped in the bushes next to the scorpions. <laughs> Yo, I led a VBS revival with my dancing. Yo, I was so holy. <laughs> or we might look back with discouragement and look back thinking, man, why doesn't God do that today for me? Why doesn't he work in the same manner in which he did when I was so passionate, when I gave up everything? Maybe you're a community group leader right now, 
in more ordinary settings or serving in other capacity. And things just haven't been exciting lately. You know, lots of those experiences that are testimony worthy seem to be from a long time ago. And you're searching and searching, man, when is God going to do that again? But I think in a passage like this, and the way God encourages Elijah and what he does for him in the call of Elisha, is he's constantly calling us to move forward. Move forward with fresh eyes of faith. And look for the new ways he's calling us, because he's always calling out to us in the present. He wants to use us. He wants fresh testimonies for us. He doesn't want us to just sit there. He wants us to have forward motion. That's what Elijah had to learn. So now, why was the call of Elisha at this moment so needed for Elijah? Well, it's because Elijah wasn't going to be around forever, if we know the story. We'll hear about that in a couple of weeks. Eventually, he'd be swept up into the heavens. So God not only wanted to show his power in vindicating Elijah by defeating his enemies, he would care for him personally by providing a friend, by providing a companion, a successor. Elisha would be there to work with him. In the last verse, you see that he was there to assist him. In other translations, it said he was there to minister to him, to be there as a support, to help him out, because the burden of everything that Elijah had experienced was too much for him to handle by himself. He would have a like-minded companion for the rest of his life, literally until the last second when Elijah would be swept up. Elisha would be there watching him to ensure that he would never be alone again. How awesome is God that he would do that for him? This just shows us that God is intimately involved in every area of our life. He knows and cares for our deepest needs. He doesn't always give us what we ask for right away. Rather, he focuses on the most important needs in the moment. For example, maybe you're in a season where you're asking God to provide a spouse so you can get married. I know I was there for many years. But maybe God is slow in answering that. But could he possibly be doing something else in your life, meeting a more immediate spiritual need that you maybe not be aware of? He could very well be doing a deeper work to prepare you. Maybe you're praying so hard for someone in your life to get saved. But instead of saving them right away, maybe God's spending some extra time preparing you to be the instrument to speak truth to them. God knows what he's doing. He operates by a different timetable. His ways are higher than ours. And he wants so much along the way to assure you that he cares for you. He wants to involve you in his work. And maybe that's why at times he gives us something else rather than what we ask for. And he's so perfect in his wisdom and his care for us. And the story of the gospel is that an infinite God became personal. He clothed himself in humanity so that not only would he be our perfect sacrifice, but so that we can approach him, we can relate to him, we can hear him confidently through the scriptures as we pray, as we connect with him, as we delight in him, as we enjoy our quiet times with him. We can know him the way we know our human friends. And so much of how he works in our lives, even in the things we don't understand, is to remind us, I know what I'm doing for you, and I'm never going to leave your side. So let's take a deeper look now into how Elisha was called. And remember, okay, God's in control here. He's orchestrating everything. 
He's doing a very personal work. Notice that God appointed Elisha way ahead of time before the job was completely his. This call happened while Elijah was still around. He was still on the clock, on the job. In fact, their lives and ministries would overlap for about six more years. They would be together. And Elisha didn't happen to come across some ad, and he didn't go off pursuing this role on his own, nor was this something he aspired to. God pursued him in his sovereignty, as he does for all of us. This came out of nowhere for Elisha. One minute he's working, next minute, whoa, I'm out of here. Now it's clear from this text that Elisha was not just someone kind of waiting around, someone who had no purpose, who was bored every day, (laughs) just had nothing better to do with his life. He came from a very wealthy family. We see this as he was in the, in the scriptures here in verse 19. He was uh, plowing with 12 yoke of oxen who were in front of him, meaning he had 11 others working under him, for him, and he was pulling the last one. And with that many animals, it mu- he must have been working in these enormous fields. And somehow after three years of a, after a bad drought had come upon the area, They were able to keep these animals well-fed, and they were able to get back to work right away. So Elisha had everything going for him. Not only was he rich, but he was a hard worker. He didn't have to be working with these other men here. He He didn't oversee this plowing project as a supervisor, but he was right there next to these workers, involved, getting his hands dirty. There's no indication that he was forced to do this. And it's in this scene here that we truly see that God's ways are so different from ours. Of all people to pick to succeed Elijah was a farmer who didn't seem to have any experience as a prophet or a theologian. He was a simple man with strong family ties, many friends, as we see he threw a feast, job security, wealth, lived a simple life of comfort, quite the opposite of the life that so far we've seen Elijah live. Someone who didn't have comfort, a home, who was often alone. He was constantly moving from place to place. He lived like a nomad that led to constant struggles of insecurity. Now had Elisha proven that he could tolerate being thrust into that kind of lifestyle? An insider who had everything all of a sudden becoming an outsider. Someone who had security in every way, all of a sudden, joining someone who lived off of nothing except for what God provides out of heaven. He was clearly not the logical choice for this task, but it didn't matter. He was God's choice. And when God appoints someone for a task, and hear this, he makes sure that he calls them to equip them and to prepare them. Now let's see how this all happened. It's a bit of a strange maneuver. Elijah just walks up, passes by him, throws his cloak on him, and walks away. It's like, oh, new shirt, you know? But Elisha, he immediately knew what was going on. Because throwing it on Elisha's back was more than just giving him a new jacket as a gift. But he was passing on his prophetic office because of what it represented. It It wasn't glamorous, but... It was in preparation for the many great works God would continue to do to show his faithfulness to Elijah and ultimately to his people Israel. You know, when God prepares us for something new, whether it's a task or a ministry, 
or a new chapter or season of our life, it comes in a manner at a time that we least expect, doesn't it? I think there may be a few reasons for this. Number one, we may not be necessarily ready for the task at hand. So God has to do a lot of different things. Sometimes trials, delays, or even long stretches of time where nothing happens to forge our character, to purify us, to make, to humble us, to make us more fit for that work. Sometimes we have no idea what's going on. Or maybe our hearts are too divided right now. And he'll take his time to weed those things out of our hearts. It's not pleasant, but it's good for us. Or we may be going through a season where, yeah, God wants to call us to something new, something fresh. But we may have been ignoring his promptings, his calls to do something more with our lives. Maybe we've been too comfortable. Maybe we become a little too risk-averse. Just want to stick with what's familiar. You know, it's so easy to, as human beings to get stuck on a path like that. And that's why I get so blessed by stories of, you know, missionaries. I've met a few my years serving in Guatemala where these, these missionaries in faith decide to spend their retirement years after a good long career storing up security for themselves and their family, just packing up their stuff, sometimes by themselves. Their spouse stays stateside and they're out there serving overseas during the last stretch of their lives. And we're like, wow, this guy's older than my parents and man, laboring, running around, meeting the locals, preaching the gospel. Very humbling to hear stories like that. May our hearts always remain open wherever God might lead us in this new year where the basis of every call is rooted in his sovereignty. And we can trust that no matter what he calls us to do, where he takes us, he'll be right there. Which leads us to our next point here. Secondly, the response to the call, radical faith. Now this point will completely be based off the way Elisha uh, uh, responded when Elijah's cloak was placed on his back. Now, it's a bit strange that that's all, that's, that was all it took for Elisha to respond, but it's not so strange if we understand how well-known Elijah was during this time. Okay? Along with the strange clothes he wore, you know, he's known to wear like camel's hair and things like that. But the events that had taken place previously, they didn't happen quietly. You know, it was such a significant event, especially that showdown with the Baal prophets, that it's very possible that someone of Elisha's status could have been there. He could have been a witness. And if not that, he had definitely heard of Elijah and definitely seen him. And so Elisha knew immediately what was happening. And not being able to help himself, he leaves his work behind. He leaves the oxen and he runs after Elijah. And when he catches him, he makes this request. Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. To which Elijah responds, go back again, for what have I done to you? That tone not being one of rebuke or impatience, but basically saying, yeah, go. Sounds good. I'm not forcing you to do anything here. Now, this passage does beg that question. Was Elisha right in asking to first go back and kiss his mother and father goodbye? For those of us familiar with the New Testament passage in Luke chapter 9, there was a, a similar scene in which Jesus was approached by three different individuals, uh, each wanting to follow Christ, but needing to learn a very hard lesson about what that entailed. The first one said, I will follow you. And Jesus responds, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. 
But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Basically saying, get ready to be inconvenienced, to be lacking, and to have your comforts taken away. The second one needed to hear that he couldn't have a double mind or divided heart when following Christ. He said, I will follow you, but first let me go bury my father. But that didn't mean his father had died. The implication there was that he was waiting for his father to die so that he can get his share of the inheritance. And that's why Jesus said, hey, let the dead bury the dead, telling him to focus on his own life and put Jesus first. But the third one here was the one that said something similar to Elisha, and many commentators make this connection here. This man said, hey, let me first say farewell to those at home. I want to say goodbye. But Jesus told him, you can't put your hand to the plow and keep looking back. Because if you do, you can't walk straight. You won't be able to plow in a straight line. You're going to cause all sorts of problems. This requires great concentration. And that's why Jesus uses that as an analogy. Jesus wanted his followers to be 100% focused on him and not looking back and wishing they were somewhere else. But Elisha's request to say goodbye to his parents was much different here. Where the third guy in Luke 9 was looking for an excuse to kind of keep one foot in his past life, Elisha was decisive and determined here. He was going to kiss his father and mother to cut ties with his family. Notice back in verse 18 from last week, God said, to Elijah, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, every knee that is not bowed to bow, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The word kiss there implies those who abandon God to follow Baal. But in verse 20, it means that Elisha was going to abandon his father and mother to follow God. There was a finality in his action there because he knew that this decision meant saying goodbye his comfortable life at home, to this job where he was well-esteemed and that was so secure for him. And what he does next proves this clearly. In verse 21, he takes the yoke of oxen, all of it, he sacrifices them and boiled their flesh, basically prepared a feast, a party, so that everyone could eat. He even destroyed the equipment, the plows. He burned them, most likely using the fire to cook the meat. It was quite a spectacle. And with this meal, he invited everyone to announce that his, this chapter of his life is over. You know, 12 yokes meant 24 oxen. That's a lot of meat to go around. Right? Someone pointed out, if you compare even one ox to a cow, right, separating the meat, that's about 675 pounds of meat per ox. You know how many eight-ounce steaks that is? 1,300. <laughs> that's a lot of meat, right? Even if you bring it to a bunch of hungry college guys, man, that, that could last a long time. But this sealed the deal. He was getting rid of everything connected to his former life. He had no intention of ever coming back. This change of careers was irreversible. So unlike us, right? Sometimes when we, you know, God calls to do something, our habit sometimes is to keep a backup plan just in case this doesn't work out. Just in case it didn't turn out to be what we expected. Let's keep that door open and figure it out later. That's kind of messed up, right? Let's say you're getting into a serious relationship you have conversations about committing and settling down, but you kind of on the side save and hide these chats and pictures of your past crushes. <laughs> Seriously, serious, excuse me. <laughs> uh, or if you're committed to a new program or a job, yet you tell your old employer, hey, kind of keep me in the loop with emails and stuff just in case, you know, I come crawling back. Or something silly like, you know, you want to commit to a new diet or a fitness plan, but there's a secret pantry where you keep all the junk food 
in, just in case you change your mind. I've done that a few times. It's not really how commitments, commitments work. But Elisha was different. He was all done. And he pretty much arranged things so that if he were to ever come back, it would be pretty humiliating for him. Talk about a walk of shame. Come back and just, uh, after he had gotten rid of everything. That's what it looks like to call, to embrace a call in faith. And it doesn't mean never speak to your family again. It doesn't mean burn your office supplies. It doesn't mean sell everything until you have nothing left. But it does mean to search our hearts and examine how we respond when God calls you to follow him down his path, whatever that might be. Whether it's to press on in a difficult situation because that's where God placed you for a reason. Or if it's something new, something challenging that you never thought you could do. Maybe someone's prompting you or encouraging you to step up and be a leader. Step up and do something you never imagined that you were capable of. But how you respond to that call isn't based on how good you think you are, how capable you are. It's always going to be based on how convinced you are of the absolute sovereignty of God and his love for you. When God calls you to follow him wholeheartedly, do you leave everything behind? Old passions, previous idols. Do you cherish old lusts to gratify your flesh? Do you keep bad influences around that lure you to places you don't want to go? What does it really take to forget what lies behind and strain for what's ahead? You know, when I read the scriptures, I read about many great men and women who laid down their fishing nets, their idols, all their resources, their families, to follow after a God they trusted. And you know, in many of these cases, those conditions were never laid out. You know, when Jesus called his disciples, all he said was, follow me. And they left everything. In that brief moment, they saw something in Jesus that was worth their entire lives, worth more than what they had been living for. I think that's really the only reason we would ever do anything that requires radical faith. is Because what because of the ways our hearts are captured by the worth of God. You know, Elisha, he got nothing but a piece of cloth on his back and maybe just a little glimpse of his new mentor as he walked away. But he left, abandoned everything. His heart was captured by not just the ministry of Elijah, but by the God of Elijah. And so can I encourage and remind us as a church today, as we go forward in our journeys as this new year continues to unfold, that the love of Christ, which is so amazing and so divine for us, demands our soul, our life, our all. He says, stop, stop dabbling in, in the remnants of your old life. The gospel says, make a clean break from your past life and follow Christ full steam ahead. Keep your eyes forward. He may call you to make changes. He may call you to make adjustments. It may or may not be something like relocating or something overseas, but it could be right in your neighborhood. It could be taking on a new relationship that might require you to get your hands dirty and do more. Whatever it is, he says, lay everything down for my sake. And one of the most beautiful aspects of the gospel is that our motivation is never fear. We're not being coerced, but it's, he draws us with his beauty and his worth. And his work on the cross is enough for us. You know, you may not be a Christian here in attendance or watching from home, and that's fine. Thank you so much for joining us today. But I wonder if you've given thought lately to 
What are you living for? What is the purpose of your life? Do you truly feel fulfilled in how you're living? Is your mission and your vision clear to you? Maybe you feel like the purpose of your life is just succeeded as many things as possible in the days that you're alive and you've become addicted to the thrill of that. Or maybe you feel like your purpose is to enjoy every pleasure you can possibly experience, whether it's a new and better vacation or trip, purchasing nicer things because you get bored so easily, you always need something new. Or maybe you feel like your purpose and call is just to keep your family and home tidy and safe. As long as your children are taken care of, that's everything to you. And none of these things are bad or wrong, but is it enough? Do you sometimes wish that you were part of something greater and more meaningful? You might be a Christian here today struggling with the same things, giving yourself to success, pleasure, and comfort. And though you call yourself a believer, man, is God really in the center of our life? So many things take priority over anything church-related or gospel-related. And in the same way, there might be days or nights when you sit there after a day of laboring, you might feel empty. Right? What, what, what is this all for? Am I going to wake up the next day and it's just the same thing over and over again? Don't you want to be part of a story greater than your own? A story that began with God and is being unfolded by him. When Elijah called Elisha to join him in the ministry, Elisha wasn't looking for him. He was found by Elijah. He was found by God. And he was brought in to a greater story because of God's pursuit of him. And all this is possible because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ. He was sinless, who knew no sin, became sin for us, dying on a cross, emptying himself of his glory, the ultimate insider within the Godhead, becoming an outsider for us. All so that he can throw on us the cloak of his righteousness, covering our sins, where we're forgiven and made clean. And along with that cloak, the status of being justified and accepted comes a calling to a life of surrender, a life of radical discipleship, a life of working for the eternal kingdom until he takes you to heaven. And all it takes is faith, which leads to belief, leads to surrender, which leads to life. May we all heed that call today and follow God uh, in his embrace. In closing here, some words, uh, just kind of uh, talking to Pastor Dwight a little bit about some of the implications of this passage here and something that really sticks out. So words here on how God raises up the next generation. You know, Elijah handing off his ministry to Elisha was to really put the point right in front and center for Elijah that all this doesn't depend on him. He had to come to the humbling realization that the work of God in his world and in his time, was not just by and through him. Judgment on Ahab and Jezebel wasn't going to be suspended because he, wasn't, he didn't feel like doing it. There came a point where he had to let go and let the next guy step in and take over. Too many people try to hold on too long and don't step aside uh, and let the next people get a chance. Right? Tom Brady... <laughs> that, that fake retire, uh, retirement yesterday. But I wonder this for myself. You know, I, I was an RCF pastor for a long time. Believe me, God did his work. I have no regrets. But passing off the baton, that was a huge step of faith for me. You know, nothing against Pastor Justin. But that for me, it's like handing it off. Man, God has others in, in, in his plan to take over this amazing work. 
And I even think of those years in college ministry because this was a huge lesson I saw every year as the upperclassmen graduate. They had to step aside. They can't cling on longer than their graduation date. They had to let the younger classes step up. And that was really the only way the ministry would survive. It heavily depended on investing in those who you believed will continue on the work when you're gone. And that's what made that ministry so beautiful to me. But I truly believe that this is one of the biggest responsibilities as a church to invest in the next generation. To know that we will all eventually one day pass on the work of the church to those who will come after us. And this isn't just some feel-good sentiment. No. Um, when I was in elementary school, our chorus teacher taught us this song by Whitney Houston. You know, I believe the children of the future. <laughs> Raise your hand if you know this song. <laughs> Teach them well and let them lead the way. <laughs> when I heard that at age seven, I was like, I am the future. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> I'm going to sleep at nine o'clock these days. <laughs> right? But what I am preaching right now, I believe to be biblical and true. Throughout biblical history, you see this. Abraham to Isaac, Moses to Joshua, Elijah to Elisha, Paul to Timothy. God was always preparing the next generation, and he's doing that now. And so, church, can we make it a priority to pray for, invest in our future by maybe taking more of an interest, perhaps in our youth group students who are here, our Sunday school children, our college students, anyone younger than you. I mean, we'd love to have more volunteers, but if you can't do that, could you pray? Could you see if you can find ways to support these ministries of our church? Parents, I'm preaching this to myself too, as we raise our young children, can we do this with a long-term vision that they are the future, the leaders, future leaders of our church, future committee members, future pastors, missionaries, elders, deacons, community group leaders, more than just trying to make life comfortable for them and cushy for them, or trying to protect them from every danger and temptation. But teaching them the value of putting the priorities of the kingdom first before anything else we could live for. The other day I was holding my now three-month-old baby boy. And I was like, Joseph, you are the future. He looks at me, he's like, ah! And he spit milk all over me. I was like, oh, no one's perfect. There's steps to get there. My prayer is that, man, may he be part of a generation that's passionate for God and continues on the work. God gave Elijah that direct word to throw his cloak on Elisha as he was plowing that day, as I believe God is instructing us to do, to do all that in the same spirit. So let's not ignore the work that God's doing. Let's surrender with lifted hands and open hearts. Let's pave the way for the, the generations after us, and when we're in heaven, we can cheer them on as a great cloud of witnesses. And whoa, what a beautiful sight that will be when we all meet together at the finish line, having faithfully done his great work. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? You know, faith doesn't come easily. Faith is not something we can conjure up. Uh, discerning God's call it, it requires wisdom. It requires being tuned in to prayer and the word. But 
man, God is waiting. God is waiting. And something about getting to know God personally, that's why we stress so much, and not just because it's a fresh new year, but because of the implications for our lives. Prayer, the word, having personal time with God. Because we can't follow a calling unless we're familiar with and we trust and love the caller. Spending time with the one who loves us and leads us forward in our lives. And he gives us everything we need. And because we have him, we lack nothing. I love this uh, tweet I read this week by Pastor Ray Ortland. He wrote, When Jesus said, follow me, he wasn't inviting us to assess foreseeable costs and benefits. He was offering us himself forever. Following him is, at times, insanely disadvantageous. But that isn't the point. He is the point. He is our advantage. And he is worth it. So never quit. Man, that challenged me. That challenged me because so often, you know, I make my life about just the things I need to do. I got to get ready for this sermon. I got to get ready for this meeting. I got to do this, do that, and prove to myself that I'm useful to God because of all the things I'm doing. But man, really at the end of the day, what's the point? He is the point. It's about making much of him. It's about loving and honoring him and treasuring him. And we become familiar with his voice. And we're so used to living our lives, being led by the Spirit, that what have we to fear? Why should we ever lose hope? When we look at something that God calls us to, and it seems, it just, the odds seem so stacked against us that we're not going to make it. But we have a great eternal God who says, I'm going to take care of you. And I'll see to it that this all works out at the end of the day for your good and my glory. Friends, today's message is a call to trust him more. He's proven himself to us time and time again. And we don't need anything more than the the cross where he hung and the empty tomb that he walked out of victoriously to secure a place for us in his kingdom forever. Brothers and sisters, if you feel confused or empty about your lives right now, whether you're a Christian or not, our God of love says, find your all in me. Lay down your burdens. Come first and find your rest and your salvation, and then find a reason to live. If you're walking with God in obedience to his word, walking in step with the Spirit, how can you miss it? And how can you not find, take great joy in continuing to honor God in obedience and see what amazing things he does in your life? So take these words with you in your heart, and I'll invite us in just a few moments here to respond in prayer. Even if you just pray nothing more than God, lead me this week to do what you want me to do, even if it's hard things. Lord, if I'm holding on too much to my past life, past idols, things that lead me astray, help me to make a cleaner cut, getting rid of those things so that I can plow this field with great concentration and focus and I can obey you with my life in experiencing that joy. Let's pray together for a minute.
Father, I pray for our church. I pray for my precious brothers and sisters here in this place, listening from home. God, our hearts being at places, God, where we know that without you, we're empty. Without you, we're lost. Without you, we're condemned in our sin. But even after salvation, God, we live as though, God, we live for something else. We wonder why at the end of the day, God, just our hearts are restless and wandering, God, because we need you. We need more of you. God, nothing will ever separate us from your love. God, but it's in our sin. God, sometimes idols, worldliness just seems so enticing. Comfort seems so alluring, God. But Lord, through the work of your spirit, Lord, show us, God, that you're the better way. Lord, we want to know you in even deeper ways, God, in your death and resurrection. When we hear the call, God, just whatever it was that moved Elisha to just burn the plows and say goodbye to his parents and just leave everything behind, God, we want that. We can't have that without you. Lord, work in us. We have Jesus, we have his promises, and we have his presence. We have his people to encourage us. So, Lord, open our eyes. Open our minds. May this year be a year where you bring us all as individuals, as a church, to greater heights of devotion, sacrifice for the kingdom, so that all the world may know, see, and hear about you, how worthy you are, how beautiful you are. Be exalted, O God. And so it... This coming week, Lord, as we go back to our lives, may you become for us in greater ways our all in all. So take our hearts, take our hands, our voices, our feet, all of us. Use us for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you rise with me? And we're going to close our worship in the song of dedication to the Lord.